0: Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for this opportunity, and I thank you for these people. And for whatever purpose it is you've brought us together, whatever word it is you desire to speak among us, Lord, we, uh, we just open ourselves to receive uh, from your Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we ask, Lord, that your word would be potent this morning, that it would be effective among us, and that we would give our, our, ourselves completely to what it is you desire to speak, that we'd be changed in the hearing of your gospel, that our eyes would be opened to the reality of the kingdom, that we would be drawn nearer to you, that you would be glorified among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is from John 9. Last week uh, we were in in John 4. This week we're in, in John 9 from the lectionary. And we're going to read a lot. I'm just going to read the first 17 verses. We'll take a break and come back in a little while. It begins this way. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. And they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was Sabbath. That's a problem. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. And then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about it? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man replied, He is a prophet. The word of the Lord. Maybe you've had this experience. Um, I feel like normally when we see someone blind, we don't tend to know how to relate to them very well. Um, We don't share their experience. We don't know exactly what it's like. We don't know if we should help in certain moments. We don't know how to even begin to help. We don't know how it will come across, right? We don't know how to give them dignity. We're not sure if it will come across as compassion or sympathy or kindness or whether it will come across as, as pity. We're not really sure what to do sometimes in those moments because the experience this is hard to, ma- to imagine. If you, You've always been able to see. Now, you have all these ideas, these notions of what blindness must be like, right? We have these things we think, right? Well, I, I guess they just live in this sort of like dark world. It's a dark sort of experience for them. They just see darkness. And it must be difficult for them to perform everyday tasks. It must be difficult for them to know who anybody is as they're approaching. Unless you know somebody who's blind, right? And you realize that that's just not how it is. That's not how it actually works. This... Man, his experience has always been this way. He was born this way. It's normal to him. This is the only way he's ever interacted with the world or with anybody else. So it's normal, but what John is showing is that even though it's normal to him, it has negatively impacted every aspect of his life, it seems like. At every turn, it affects him. Everything is connected to his blindness. He's defined by this condition, mostly by society. Everything's connected. His ability to work, his ability to relate to other people, how he's seen, all of this. And so even though, especially in modern day society, we look on him with sympathy. We see this man with sympathy. If we encountered this man begging, we would want to honor him. We'd want to dignify his situation in some sort of way and yet at the same time we don't celebrate his condition right we don't celebrate blindness as something good in fact it's really fine it's it's great we need more people like him we would never say something like that we see some people in these kinds of situations that's one of the realities of of our present moment we see people with this and and our modern-day sympathy and compassion Leads us to say like, you know, like we see somebody in like a really hard situation. We say, man, he's perfect the way he is. We see somebody with a disability and we say like, what a beautiful thing, you know, God has done through them. He's perfect the way he is. But he's not perfect. Everything about the story tells you nothing is perfect and nobody is more aware of that than him. Something is wrong and it's always been wrong. And we would never tell him otherwise. We would never tell this guy he should dream big and he can accomplish anything he wants to do. He can do anything he sets his mind to. No, he can't. No, he can't. He'll never be able to work certain jobs. He'll never be able to to walk the same way they do. In our society, they'll never be able to, to drive. They can't operate heavy machinery, right? Like this is, there are laws against it. They are constrained by their condition. It just simply is his reality. It is a painful and unfortunate reality. And he did not choose it. He was born with this. He did not cause it, ultimately, we realize. He was born with it. But it comes with a stigma. And in Jesus' culture, it's a, a much worse stigma than in ours. It's stigmatized because the assumption is made in the ancient mind that this terrible plight has come upon this man Because he or someone in his family has done something. Some sin has caused this this kind of curse to come on him. They have to explain it. They have to try to make sense of the pain this man has endured. And as crazy as it sounds to us that they would say it's sin that made him blind, we have a tendency to do the same thing. We see someone... Maybe you encounter someone on the streets, that's the classic one. Maybe it's like a a single mother on the streets, and she's begging, and you say, she probably did something. You start to trace it back to some choice that she made, some decision, some addiction she has. You're searching for the cause, you're trying to explain where all this comes from. And a lot of times it allows you to kind of like keep yourself at a distance from her. It gives you a reason not to bother helping because there's not really much that can be done. And the same thing's happening to this man, right? Since they believe he caused this, it's like, well, there's not really anything we can do. He did this to himself. Somebody did this to him, and we can't really change that. And so the painful irony of the man's life is like, just like he can't see anyone or anything, nobody else seemingly can see him. He becomes invisible at some level. And that's why in the passage you hear people saying, after all this incredible stuff happens, they go, wait a minute, is this, the, is this the same guy that used to sit out in, on the street and beg? And people are like, yeah, that, well, I don't know. No, that's not him, just looks like him. It's because this man has always remained in their periphery. They notice him at some level, they see him at some level, but for the main part, they don't ever really look at the man. They never try to know the man so that they could say with certainty, yes, that's him. At least, John says, until Jesus comes walking by. So here's the setting. Jesus has just left the temple. And what is, I'm assuming, a pretty tense condition uh, or situation. Um, I have never... Said anything so offensive in front of a group of people that they wanted to stone me. That's not happened yet. But for Jesus, it happened fairly often. It had just happened. He tells them they're children of their father, the devil, and they're like, all right, sorry, bro, we're going to have to murder you. So Jesus has just left that, okay? So let's say it's somewhat tense, at least. He escapes, is the language that's used. And John uses the most nondescript language to tell us the beginning of this next story. Jesus is just walking along, he's not going to see anybody. It's not like he's just almost been stoned. He's just walking along, and he sees this man, right? John doesn't say that the man does anything to attract the attention of Jesus. It's not like Jesus hears him begging, or the man approaches him and asks him for help. John just says, Jesus saw him. There's this thing that John wants us to see, and that we see over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus sees, he takes notice of suffering and brokenness. It's almost as if Jesus is drawn to it. Like while everybody else sees this man and gets really uncomfortable, quickens their pace and tries to to move past him as, as quickly as they can, Jesus doesn't. Jesus takes notice of the pain this man has endured. And I think at some level, like that would be enough, right? That would be beautiful. If the story ended right there, that would be beautiful. Jesus sees the man that nobody else seems to notice. But Jesus does more than that, right? It would be enough if you take the next step, that Jesus chooses to allow the man to see who has never seen, even though the man didn't even ask. The man doesn't ask for Jesus to do anything. That would be enough. But that's not what the passage is is all about. Jesus is doing something else here. The heart of this passage isn't just a healing Jesus isn't just fixing somebody's suffering and moving on. Jesus is is doing more than that. He's not just fixing suffering, alleviating suffering. Jesus is helping make sense of suffering. He's answering the question that we have wrestled with, that they are all wrestling with. What causes this sort of thing? Not medically. What makes this sort of terrible thing happen to a person? Why do some people have to live with this, right? In essence, who is to blame for this kind of thing? And in their culture, it's who did it? Who caused it? It's a question we have over and over again. What causes my suffering? What causes the pain that I have endured? Who is to blame? And Jesus' answer is not what we're expecting. It's certainly not what they were expecting. He says, neither this man nor his parents sin. Don't be confused. But his answer doesn't comfort you much more. God did this. This man didn't sin. His parents didn't sin. God did this, seems to be what Jesus is saying. And that can can make you feel just a little bit uncomfortable. God didn't prevent this man suffering. He didn't stop it. God allowed this man to be born blind. But it's not for the reason we might expect, right? Not because God is cruel. Jesus says... No, this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. God has purpose and meaning behind the man's suffering. God has something beautiful in the middle of all of the pain, right? Jesus is saying, otherwise, had this man not been born blind, had he not endured this all these years, he might never have actually seen God, which is far worse God is revealed to him and through him in a way that otherwise it could never have happened. The beauty of who God is is made visible in this man's pain and suffering in a way that it could not have been made known so that the works of God might be displayed in him. But Jesus isn't just addressing the blind man, right? That's what's interesting about the passage. As we go further, we realize Jesus begins to address the Pharisees. They're blind too. They have an issue, a condition they don't recognize like this man does. And the sense is, unless they realize that they, too, just like this man, were born broken, born blind, they will never be able to see God either. They have to recognize their own blindness, and they don't. They don't see it, right? So John is juxtaposing a man who is blind and knows it with a group of people who are blind and who are oblivious to it. And Jesus intends to heal them both. The focus isn't just the man who's been begging all these years. It's the Pharisees too. So this story, the reason we read it, just in, we're reading it in pieces, I guess, is it lasts 41 verses, okay? We won't get to all of them, but well, what's interesting is John only needs two of them, two verses to tell you about the man being healed. And it's like John wants you to know, like, that, that's not the focus. That's not the climactic moment. We might be distracted by it because it is beautiful, right? But the other 39 verses are all about trying to make sense of it all. The same thing we would feel. Okay, yes, something amazing just happened. I don't know how to explain it or put words on it. Sorry. Like even the man who had just been healed doesn't really know what he thinks about it all. He doesn't know what to believe about it all. It takes two verses to tell us he was healed of blindness. It takes 39 more to bring us to belief. The man himself can't even begin to believe or understand it. It takes longer. John knows sometimes these incredible things happen, and it takes us a while. We're slow to believe is the reality of it. And maybe you're in the middle of that. Like, that's the reality of it. Like, some weeks you walk in and you find yourself feeling like you are in the middle of this sort of thing. You're grappling with the sort of suffering you see in and around your life. And maybe you're prone to the same sort of tendency that the disciples are, that the Pharisees are. You're prone to blame. You need something, someone to blame to try to make sense of it all, right? And so you begin, I think a lot of times, with saying, like, maybe it's somebody else's fault. Maybe you blame your parents Maybe you blame some terrible thing that happened to you when you were younger, and maybe that's legitimate. Maybe it's somebody else's fault. Or maybe, maybe it's your own fault, right? But whatever it is, right? Whatever it is, there's no denying it, something is wrong. You're aware of it, painfully aware that something isn't right. And maybe Maybe you've lived with some awful wound, something that was done to you years ago and it never feels like it, it healed. You can talk about it in some way as, as having changed, as, as gotten better, but it doesn't feel like it's ever truly healed, right? Maybe it's um, that you've lived with an addiction for far too long. You don't even know what to do with all of it. You don't even know how to understand it, right? Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've miscarried enough times that you're sick of trying and it's really painful to sit and listen to people talk about those sorts of things and at some point there's this thing that happens there's this shift away from blaming someone else or something else where you really begin to to question like do I deserve this? like where you really start to play out these scenarios in your mind where you're like maybe if I hadn't made that choice Maybe if I hadn't like, like walked down that road, maybe if I hadn't put that in my body, maybe if I hadn't started so young, maybe if I had waited later, maybe if all of these things, these, these ideas in our minds, maybe I deserve this. Or maybe that seems crazy because you know you're suffering the consequences of something somebody else did. They didn't even intend to hurt you, but you're suffering the consequences of something someone else did because you know at the depth of your being nothing you have ever done is deserving of this kind of pain. Whatever it is, you sit and you try to explain it and make sense of it. And Jesus says, put all of that nonsense to rest. Stop trying to explain it that way. Neither this man nor his parents or anyone else for that matter, caused this. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In in essence, Jesus is, is saying, if the man had not been born blind, if he'd not suffered all these years, then God could never have been so evident in his life. He would not have been revealed in the same kind of way. He would never have come to understand the beauty of what God really is like. This man himself would not see God for who he really is. Other people who are watching this unfold, they would never have understood the true nature of this God. It is his experience of blindness that allows his eyes to be opened. It's the only way. It's this, this severe brokenness that allows him to see that he needs something outside of himself to be made whole. He doesn't have to live with that delusion that so many of us do that we think we can fix ourselves. He knows he can't. There's a gift. Our addictions, our woundings, our pain, our infertility, you name it, add it to the list. All of this, Jesus is saying, allows you to know God in a way that you would not have otherwise. And I know that some of you are sitting there listening to that and thinking, okay, that's good. And others of you are thinking, if anybody else said that to me in the middle of my pain, I would say that's insensitive. I would say that's offensive. It would sound dismissive of your pain. It would sound triumphalistic. Like, of course you'd say that because you don't understand. Except that it's coming out of Jesus' mouth. And if you've read the Gospels or if you've read John, you know all the way up to this point, Jesus just keeps bringing up this morbid reality of his death, that Jesus is going to die. He keeps telling you that over and over again. He keeps telling the disciples, and it makes them uncomfortable. He keeps talking about pain. He teaches them they have to take up a a cross and follow him. So when you hear Jesus constantly talking about the inevitability of his own death and suffering, and he says this, you know you have to listen. It begins to make a little bit more sense that Jesus might say there's beauty, that God can reveal himself in a different kind of way through your pain. It begins to make sense because what Jesus is trying to get at is this. He knows a moment is coming when these same people will see him crucified. They will see him hanging naked and humiliated and broken on a cross and they will ask the same question then that they're asking now who sinned? Who did it? Did he do this to himself? What caused this kind of pain and suffering? Why is this man being asked to do this? And many people will make the conclusion, this is what they'll accuse him of. They'll throw their accusations at him as he's hanging there. He's a sinner. He's a blasphemer. He did this to himself. It is his fault But if you read the Gospels, if you know Jesus, you know none of that makes any sense. Pilate, the man who is supposed to condemn Jesus, doesn't even know how because he knows he's not actually done anything. Nothing is wrong. He didn't cause this. He didn't bring this on himself. Jesus, just like the man who was born blind, was born into his suffering. Jesus was born for that specific purpose. From the moment he opened his eyes, his life was moving to that, to pain and suffering. And with every year of his life, he realized more and more it was a thing he would have to embrace. With every year, he realized more and more that his suffering would not be meaningless. It would not be empty and wasted. With every year of his life, Jesus realized those words were true. It is so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Apart from the cross, we cannot understand the true nature of God. Apart from Jesus' pain and suffering that he does not deserve, that he's just born into and has to embrace, has to learn to live with. Apart from that experience, we know nothing of what God is really like. And all of our conceptions of God fall short. But Jesus' suffering shows us something. So when he says this, we know it's not just some empty platitude. Jesus is saying, I know your pain. I know what you've endured. And you're not to blame for it. Jesus is not saying you're never to blame for your suffering. Sometimes we do bring things on ourselves. Sometimes we make choices that come with consequences. Sometimes we, we choose a lifestyle that, that brings a whole lot of hurt and wounding. Jesus is saying, it's not always that way. I know your pain. And Jesus realizes that the beauty of God is being displayed. It is revealed in you, to you, through you, to others. This is what's happening in these sorts of moments. Don't lose hold of that. Don't lose sight of that. But remember, as beautiful as all of that is, right, Jesus isn't just speaking to the blind man, right, He isn't just addressing the questions of the disciples. Jesus is speaking to the condition of the Pharisees. So what I want us to do, we're going to pick up at uh, verse 24. Let's pick up at verse 24. So what's going to happen is they're going to bring in his parents to try to understand if he's really this this guy who was born blind. Um, And after that's all over, they don't really help them much. They bring the man back in. Verse 24 is where we pick up. And a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know that this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And then they asked him, but what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at your birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The word of the Lord. So when this healing takes place, everybody's startled, obviously. They're they're not sure what to think about it because a nobody, this man they call Jesus, right? You don't say that about a person. He doesn't call him by name, he says, the man they call Jesus, I think that's the guy's name, right? This nobody from Nazareth has healed a man born blind. Now they could explain it if he had been, you know, blinded by some injury, some sickness. No, that's not what happened. He's not restoring the man's vision, he's giving the man vision for the first time his entire life, and they don't know what to think. And so... They want to see what the Pharisees have to say about it because the Pharisees are the authority on such things, okay? And so it begins. The blind man is brought to them and they say, what happened? And he says, this is what happened. And they say, that sounds ridiculous. He explains to them again when they ask him again and they scoff at his silliness happens over and over again and after they realize the man is just going to continue to promote like this ridiculous mythological sort of tale of his healing they say this is useless you know what we need to do we need to verify this the old-fashioned way where's this man's parents they're the ones who can tell us right I mean this is ridiculous it's hilarious what just happened Um, this is like youth sports 101 have you guys ever seen this happen It happens all the time. I'm I'm coaching Max's t-ball team this year, okay? Right? They're they're six-year-olds, okay? And so there's this thing that will happen. I know it will happen at some point this year. Either somebody will say it as a joke or they will say it seriously. Kid walks up to the plate. He's got his bat in his hand. He's ready to go. And they'll look at that kid. And you'll notice the, the opposing team's coach will kind of look at him a little bit differently. The parents will be looking at him a little bit differently. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This kid can't be six. Forget how tall he is. He's not even wearing a jersey. The kid's got on like a, a Def leopard t-shirt and uh, he's got a tattoo he could only have gotten in prison. Like, <laughs> like this, this doesn't make any sense. What kind of six-year-old's got face tattoos? Like, like he's, he's not six. Get him out of here, right? Like, this is the way it is. Where are his parents? Where, where's the birth certificate? Show us. This is the Pharisees. This is what they've come to. And we didn't read it, but the parents come in and they are questioned. But they're so intimidated, so afraid of the authorities, And the repercussions of whatever it is they might say to explain it all or to tell them the truth that he really was born blind, they just say, I don't know, man, talk to him. He is of age. Talk to him. Ask him. So it doesn't really go anywhere. And this is where you start to see a trend in the passage. The blind man is consistently questioned, and his answer is always, I don't know. You want me to explain it? I don't know, right? The man's parents are questioned about it. And their answer is, I don't know. I can't explain it to you. Talk to him. I don't know what this is about. Even the disciples, like in the beginning, right? When they ask this question, when they look at Jesus and they say, who sinned, this man or his parents? They're acknowledging. They they don't know what causes this kind of suffering, this kind of pain. Nobody else seems to know, except the Pharisees. Pharisees know. They're the only people in the passage who can speak with any level of certainty. They know what is going on. They're the ones who first say, we know. So when they bring in the man again, you guys heard it. They look at him and they say, come on, man, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Tell us the truth. Give glory to God comes from this story in the book of Joshua. Maybe you remember it. There's this man named Achan. He does a terrible thing. He chooses to, to steal treasure from the city of Jericho, and he hides it from everyone else. God has told them explicitly not to do this, and Joshua realizes something is bad wrong. There's sin in the camp, and he comes to Achan, and he says, give glory to God. It's the Jewish way of saying Confess. Swear before God what you know to be the truth. We know this man is a sinner. Now, he's not referring to the blind man. Remember, he's talking to the blind man. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is a sinner. Why? Because he did this on the Sabbath. That's why the Pharisees are interested in the first place, because this is a legal matter. They're offended at what he's chosen to do, and they know Jesus is a sinner, so he cannot have healed the blind man. Something is missing here. And more than that, they know the answer to the original question. The disciples asked Jesus, who sinned? And they know who sinned. Remember, he starts to kind of like press them. Hey, what, do you want to be his disciples too? They don't like that very much. They hit a nerve. Or excuse me, he hit their nerve, I guess I should say. And they unceremoniously kick him out. And they make this statement. You were steeped in sin at your birth right there was actually a jewish belief that you could sin in the womb sounds crazy but the ancient mind was trying to make sense of it how could such a terrible thing come upon a man from birth right how could he sin well the idea was you could sin even in utero you were steeped in sin at birth and you want to lecture us and they they drop kick him out you have no business here They know, they have all of the answers, and that's the problem. This is what Jesus is saying. They think, they know, they think, they can see, but they don't realize. They've been living with this vision of the kingdom for so long, and they don't realize how distorted it is. They've been living as blind their entire life, and just like this man who's been begging on the street his entire life, they've always been blind. They just have never known it. This is what Jesus is saying. And yes, that will get you in a lot of trouble. And when Jesus hears that the man has been unceremoniously kicked out of the Pharisees' presence, Jesus goes and he finds him, John says. The passage begins. Jesus sees the man. And as we get to the end of the passage, Jesus goes and he finds the man once more. Because Jesus seems to know what we might miss. We're like, well, I mean, Jesus kind of did what he needed to do, right? The man has been healed. And Jesus knows there's a deeper need. Like, think about it. The man might be healed. He might be able to see. But it's a complicated thing to go from a life of blindness to being able to see everything, right? Everything is changing for this man. His life is turned upside down. It's, or right side up, however you want to say it. Something is wrong here. Because even though Jesus might be able to heal him, Jesus can't give back to him all of those years. He can't. At some level, this man will always be defined by those years. That trauma, that pain that he lives with, right? He he can't make that go away. Having sight can't fix some of those things. Jesus knows the man needs something else. And the passage isn't just about healing. It's about belief everything John is telling us he'll tell us at the end of the gospel is is about belief that we may believe he says do you believe in the son of man doesn't ask him how his eyes are doing what's it like no he just says do you believe that's where his eyes begin to really be opened That's where the man really begins to find peace. That's where he really begins to find a deeper sense of healing, right? This is where everything changes because he realizes he's talking to God, right? He's he's talking to Messiah, and he has been all along, and he didn't realize it. And he falls down and begins to worship him. And Jesus says something in this moment, again, that feels kind of insensitive. It's like, Jesus, I don't know if this fits the moment. He seems to be quoting from Isaiah 6. He says, For judgment I have come, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. In Isaiah 6, the the mission of Isaiah is to go and tell the people of Israel that they will be a people who are ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving, that their ears will become dull and their eyes will become blind. Doesn't seem like the right moment, right? But the Pharisees... Who are there, know exactly what Jesus is trying to say. The Pharisees, they say, Are are you saying that that we are blind? Are you going to make such an absurd suggestion that we are blind? And Jesus replied, Pay attention, right here. this This is the heart of the thing. Jesus says, If you were blind, you'd not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And here's the thing, I know, it's a long passage and we've been here a long time, I get it. And we tend to like get to these points in a passage and we just kind of like blow right past it. But listen to what Jesus just said. Jesus just said, if only you were blind, well then I could heal you. If only you were sick, well then I could help you. Like how many doctors have ever uttered those words? In history, if only you were blind, if only you were sick, saying this to a perfectly healthy person, if only you were messed up, if only you were addicted, if only you were broken, if only you were sick, well then I could help you, but you say you aren't. There's nothing I can do for you. How can you be healed? And the church is full of people who are doing fine. The church is full of people who are healthy and good. And that's the idea we have of the church sometimes. Why do you go to the church? To be around the people who are healthy and good. The church is full of people who are fine. Jesus is saying, you see so clearly, you know so much, you understand these things so well, If only you were broken. Like maybe this man was born blind. Maybe he's lived with a lot of pain. Maybe he doesn't know the answers to all of this. But Jesus is saying at least he knows he's blind. At least he knows his need. You are oblivious to it. And sometimes we live oblivious to this need, this blindness in us. I love these words the man speaks. He says, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. The only time the man seems to know anything with certainty, he says, one thing I do know. I was blind, but not anymore. That's all I know. He knows the one thing that they don't. They have all of the other answers, but he knows the answer to the one thing they don't. Right? He's figured out this thing at some level, There's the one thing I know, that I was blind, I'm just not blind anymore. And I'm okay with it. I'm okay with not knowing at all. I know this one thing. And I got to thinking about it this week. um, So Thursday morning, my responsibility between Tuesdays and Thursdays is to try to create an efficient means of getting everybody ready and helping out to get everybody out the door so that April and the kids can, can get where they need to go, right? They got to go to school, she's got to go to work, and so I'm trying to help out in all these other ways. I, I put off what I need to do and try to do that, right? And sometimes it's pretty frustrating. A lot of times it's pretty frustrating because it doesn't always go the way I intend for it to. I like control, right? And so Thursday morning, I'm a little temperamental. They're getting out of the door, I'm frustrated with... Every living person in my home, it seems like, except April, I guess, the dog included, okay? Everybody is a part of this. They all sense it. They all know it. I call April after they leave to process these things and to be like, I know, and to express that I'm frustrated and explain why I'm frustrated and to try to rationalize all these sorts of things. And I get off the phone with her, and I'm I'm sitting there by myself, and there is this moment of anger. Like, I'm just, I'm right by myself where it's like I I feel like I am peering into the darkest part of who I once was. And there's this awareness, like where you you really feel, I am still so blind. I am still so broken. There are these moments where we find ourselves peering into that darkness. And there are two things generally we're going to do there, right? Right? One of them is try to rationalize it and make sense of it and explain how we're still okay and this is not really a problem. It's all very normal. We'll try to hide from it. We'll try to cover it up. We'll try to church it up and make it sound like something it's not. We'll try to hide and run away and cover it up. Or we'll do the thing Jesus is talking about. Instead of running away from it and hiding from it, we'll acknowledge it for what it is. Like, what if we saw sin the way Jesus is talking about? What if we saw our brokenness the way Jesus is talking about? If we heard Jesus saying, if only you were blind, it would change us. We see sin as some sort of, like, obstacle in our lives. We see sin as this thing we've got to get as far away from as possible. And we see the church as the place where we can do that. And very often we're trying to hide from it here. We're trying to hide from who we are, from the things we've done, from the things that continue to creep up on us in moments. But what if we didn't see it as some sort of obstacle or some sort of thing that's keeping us from God? And we listen to what Paul is saying in Romans 8, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. If that's actually true, then that means sin is not some obstacle. It is the only path I can take to get to healing. It's the only way I can begin to realize I've got to open my hands like this man that's been living on the streets begging. It's the only way I can be healed. What if instead of walking away from it, I begin to walk toward it and acknowledge it for what it is and confront it with the beauty of what God is doing? I might actually see God for who He is. I might see the beauty of what God is actually like. I might actually experience the kindness of God in a different kind of way. This is what Jesus is saying. You can live as blind or you can have your eyes open to the the depth of your brokenness and it is the only way you'll ever experience healing. This is what church is supposed to be. This is what faith is supposed to be. This is what we're doing every time we come to the table. The band is going to come, and we're going to do the same thing we do every time. And maybe it feels repetitive and and dull and dreary to confess your sins when you come to the table. Um, Maybe you're not sure why we do that. But the idea is this, that until we confront our sin and our brokenness, we can't actually open our hands to receive the thing God has been trying to offer us all along. And though we've been healed at some point in our lives, the reality is we still see blurry, right? We're like what Paul is talking about. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, we see now as in a mirror dimly. You're aware of that sometimes. Sometimes our vision is so severely blurred and you're aware of it. But there's healing. And God is bringing us to that place where we will see fully, completely, where we will understand not in part but in whole. And when we come to the table, there's this opportunity to acknowledge the depth of our brokenness, to realize we were born blind, to not run away from our sin, but to walk toward it and acknowledge it for what it is that we might open our hands to receive and to experience the beauty of who God is. That's what we invite you guys into in these moments. Come and and tear off a piece of bread. Come and take a cup and you can move back toward your seats and then we'll all do this together in just a little bit. Father, we ask that you would uh, just work healing among us and, and freedom. Yeah, open our eyes this morning that we might know the one thing that actually matters. And we pray.